Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Welcome to Automation Unplugged. Today's show features John Heyman, CEO of SnapOne. John has worked in the technology industry for over 30 years, including as the CEO of Radiant Systems, a publicly traded business until its $1.3 billion sale in 2011. Since joining SnapOne in 2015, John has led the company through explosive growth via new product introductions, entry into new markets, key strategic acquisitions, and an IPO in July 2021. John has also been a successful investor in a number of software firms across many sectors. He served as executive chairman of Influential Health, the board of directors of Manhattan and Associates, and DeNova LLC, and chairman of Impact Innovations. He also has served the nonprofit sector in various roles at the University of Georgia, the Metro Atlanta YMCA, and Holy Innocence Episcopal School. We live streamed this interview on social media on Wednesday, January 31st at 12.30 p.m. During our time together, we discussed John's career journey prior to joining SnapOne, the necessity of our industry to improve the client experience, the SnapOne rollout of Control4 Connect and Assist recurring revenue solution for integrators, and a look ahead in 2024 and beyond, and the looming housing shortage in North America. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Let's tune into this interview with John Heyman. John, how are you, sir? Doing great, Ron. How you, how you been? I'm good, man. I, I'm embarrassed that I've been doing this show since 2017 and I haven't had you on the show before. So shame on me, but uh, we have you here today. Good to be here. Good to be here. So, John, for those that are not familiar, first of all, uh, let's maybe just go through your role, go through a little bit about your role, what that entails, go through Snap One for if you're living under a rock in this industry and you don't know what Snap One is, I'm betting anyone listening or watching to this is probably your customer, but there's a chance there's someone out there that's not your customer. So uh, give us the, the high level of you, your role and the company. Great. Sure. I'm, uh, I'm the CEO of the company. I've been the CEO for nine years now. I used to, I used to say that uh, I was an industry outsider, but uh, I can no longer say that. Um, and so I, uh, I joined the company nine years ago. Snap One is a company that was built by integrators and it was built for integrators. And I think, you know, to to the, the guiding principle over the past quarter of a century for the company that we, we try to continue every, every day is that we're here for the integration community. They have a very, very big opportunity in front of them. They have a very complex job to do the installs and provide the support that they do. 
And uh, many of our people have been integrators. They've been on ladders. They've pulled wire. They know the problems that can arise. And what we've always tried to do is build hardware products and software platforms and make it really easy to buy from us and get service from us. And, you know, as the industry has continued to evolve in terms of the experiences we try to deliver, we've tried to evolve with it. And so, um, you know, my job is, you know, it's, it's, you know, we have a fairly sizable company now we're public. We do over a billion dollars of revenues. Um, I don't really do anything on a day-to-day basis <laughs> that affects our uh, end customer or our integrators' experiences. So, you know, my job is really around setting the strategy of the company, providing leadership to our teams, making sure I'm doing my job in terms of getting out into the integration community and listening to what integrators want and need to succeed in their business and listening to our team members and, um, and providing the support that they need to do their jobs. Where, where are you coming to us today from? Are you from? Today I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. We have an office here. We have uh, uh, some people here. We have a local office here. It's home for me. Um, has always been home since the late 60s. We have, you know, obviously very sizable offices in Salt Lake City and Charlotte, but, you know, all ca- capabilities elsewhere around the world too. And uh, you're public, so I'm assuming this is a public stat. How many people are in the company today? The exact number Ish. today, I don't know. You know, north of 1,500. North of 1,500. Oh, my goodness. And see here at One Firefly, we have 80 people. And I'm like, man, we have so many people. I can only imagine. It's just different grades of large. And 1,500 yeah. is definitely a couple of steps up the ladder. Yeah, but going, you know, I think sometimes the hardest thing to do is go from zero to 100 employees. I mean, it's you know, congrats to, to you guys for everything you've done. And uh, when I joined the company, there were, I think about 150 people inside the business. So it's been, it's been great watching it grow. That's amazing. That, that, that really is extraordinary. Now, John, a lot of folks are not that familiar with your background and I'll, I promise for everyone tuned in and or listening, I'll, I'll get to a lot of the current events and what's going on with C4 and some of the business model changes. Um, but John, if you could take us back, man, you've been in the technology space for, for, for many decades now. Um, help us understand a little bit about your background. You feel free to go, go back as far as you're willing to go and take us through some of that experience. Well, I, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, and, uh, when I got out of school, I spent a couple of years in consulting and realized that, you know, billing my time by the hour wasn't something that I wanted to do the rest of my life. I was fortunate enough to get into a couple of, uh, exciting businesses early in my career. Um, one of those businesses was being really affected by technology. This is in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I made a career decision that I needed to kind of pivot my own career into the technology field. I was fortunate enough to meet two uh, software developers and um, together we built a business that 
changed the retail and restaurant technology industry and mm. very specifically uh, led the industry from using solid state cash registers at the point of sale to open uh, personal computers with you know graphical software running on it, which was really easy to use. And that led to us building other services um, around that point of sale, around customer loyalty programs, email marketing, food cost systems, inventory control, labor management. And um, as the prices of PCs plummeted um, in the mid to late 90s, that meant far more small businesses could afford it. So mm. not unlike this industry that we're in today, we went to market through a set of channel partners, uh, integrators. It's just integrators that rather than serve the home, serve the restaurant or the retailer. And we built a model where um, they sold our point of sale systems and, uh, and led the transition and the capabilities of a small business restaurateur or retailer to do so many more things with technology than they could have with a cash register system. And, you know, we then lay it on a SaaS model for the industry. And we built that company over, you know, close to a 20 year period. Um, we were public. I was the CEO of the company. And then we were purchased by um, uh, uh, a cash register company, if you will, NCR um, in 2011. And I, since then, uh, was an investor in technology companies, uh, helped start a couple of other ones, and met the uh, founders and the investors in Snap AV at the time. And Before we go there, John, can I yeah. just ask, I'm curious, you, what it all, this probably is not stating it accurately, but it sounds like you almost helped convert the point of purchase from analog to digital. At least that's yeah. what I'm visualizing hearing yeah. you describe that. Yeah. What was that like? How much resistance, was there resistance or friction in that change? And if so, yeah. what was it like for you to be basically the tip of the spear causing that change? Yeah. Well, we were probably too young to know better. We were all in our early thirties, but we were, what, what we felt like was a cash register cost a very small amount of money. And it, and it had very little in the way of feature and functionality in terms of things that, an, a, a, for instance, a restaurateur could do with their, you know, building a customer list, emailing to them, understanding what food they were wasting in the back office, uh, being out of stock, helping them with pricing decisions. And so we came to market with a system that was, you know, probably around five times the cost of a cash register system at the time, wow. which is a big sale. Like you're now talking to a restaurateur about investing instead of a few thousand, $30,000. And so you really had to focus on the value that you were going to provide and really hmm. change the conversation from one that you know, here's a device that lets you process a transaction to here's a system that's going to let you run your business, manage your labor, manage your inventory, drive growth through marketing programs to, with your customer. And so, um, you know, changing the narrative in the industry that this was a strategic investment versus something you just had to do to be able to 
cash somebody out at the register was, was quite a change. And, you know, it took, you know, five years to really catch on. I mean, we, we, we went from zero to $400 million. It wasn't exactly linear. The first five, six years, you were know. There are some points in that, John, where you weren't sure you were going to make it, or did you always know this was a brilliant Pers- idea? Personally or the company? So, uh, <laughs> both, both, both. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, we worked, we worked till midnight. We really worked. Well, a lot of people say they worked till midnight. We worked till midnight all the time. You know, we were beg borrowing and scraping together money. We never raised venture capital. So sure. There were times wow. when, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't know if we were going to make payroll on a couple of Fridays throughout that, but we were always able to scrape, uh, money together. And so, uh, it was a, what, uh, what did it feel like on the other side of that? Uh, you know, if you were in your early thirties, then you were in your early fifties, you, when you sold, you sold yeah. that company, correct? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, in a way sad because I mean, when you, you build a company like that in the same way, I would say around snap one, I think everybody on your, I've met so many integrators who consider their team like their families. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, you know, when we sold it, it was, it, well, it was the right thing to do for the company. We didn't have the kind of reach globally that NCR had. And so by selling the company, it was clearly the right thing to do for shareholders, but for our team members, like it was, it gave them growth uh, opportunities that we weren't able to provide them. And so, you know, it was sad, but it was exciting to see the company kind of fall into somebody's hands who could do something more with it. Um, And, you know, I still, a lot of those people are friends of mine. The channel partners are friends of mine still. And, you know, it's just exciting to see kind of the businesses they've built with somebody again, bigger behind them than we were. When that transaction happened, did you stay on for a bit for some time period or were you immediately out? I I left the day of the deal. You know, I think, you know, it, it, it would, the best thing to do for the integration of those two businesses was for me to get out of the way. We had built a strong team. It was time for them to step up. Um, it was an opportunity for them to step up. And, you know, I think once you've been the CEO, it's hard to not be the CEO. So yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, bring, bring us to Snap. Well, yeah, the thing is, Snap AV. Yeah. So, you know, joined, found Snap, realized I didn't love just investing. I uh, really missed being part of a team that woke up every Monday morning and had to make the sausage. Snap had a few ingredients that I really loved. I, I loved the passion they had about the integrator. I remember when I went into the building the first time, there were banners everywhere that said, create raving fans by making their lives easier. And that, that continues to be a big part of the mantra inside the company. And I'm a, I'm a customer satisfaction zealot. And seeing that culture um, was something that was really important to me. Uh, I spoke to a number of integrators. Um, I, by the way, had installed two very large control systems previously in my home. And I saw the effort it took to do that. 
And I compared that to what an install in a restaurant or retailer looked like. And I said, this can be a better experience. Um, So I saw a problem, not in the company, but in, in an industry, I saw a problem and an opportunity and I saw a company with a culture. Um, And so it, you know, I jumped right in and, you know, amazing people that care deeply about this industry um, and are committed to doing the right thing. Um, So it's, it's been a great nine years. When you jump into a new company or you jump into an existing company, a tenured company that's, that's been around a while, what, what do you do? Do you immediately come in and start making change? Do you come in and start observing? Like what, what was your process of understanding the state of the company and the industry? I promised everybody I was going to ask a lot of questions, but just sit back and learn for the pet for the first six months. I went out with, I remember my first week I went out with G Paul Hess, who is our chief product officer today and David Moore, who's our, uh, um, uh, executive vice president of engineering two longtime uh, leaders in the industry. And I remember going out to the West coast and spending a week out there and I had expected us to try to go meet with every owner of every integrator I could. And what I was so impressed with is, you know, we stayed out there a long time and we started super early in the morning because that's when the techs are loading the trucks. And these guys wanted to talk to the techs that with the, mm. they had notepads. We talked about every single product and what the issues were they had or what they liked and how we could make them better. And so I, I did that in every area of the company. I, I promised there'd be no changes for the first six months. Um, in six months, we made some changes, but, um, but, you know, you, you got to go in, you know, snap heads, head and has amazing people. And so I had to learn about the industry. I'm still learning about the industry. How would you describe your style of leadership? I think most people would say probably if they use two words, probably collaborative. And, um, I, I, I would hope they say kind of transparent, like, you know, it, it, there's, I think it's really important if you're the only way we can deliver for our integrators and their customers is through our team. And I think, you know, people want to understand kind of the, what's happening in the business, what, what we're being successful with, what we're not being successful with. You know, I think if you sat inside a meeting inside the company, you'd find us celebrating the success we've had. If it's a 60 minute meeting for five minutes and then the other 55 minutes are what are the challenges? Where can we be doing better? And that's where we focus. And you have to have a transparent and collaborative style so people feel the freedom to speak up. Even, you know, I'm on some integrator text groups. I, 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 I want to hear the constructive feedback. That's how, that's how we get better as a company. I know uh, because I've, I've watched you speak in the last year. I know you're very focused about the customer experience and we have our installers and integrators delivering um, varying levels of quality in that, that execution from excellent to you know, lacking, just stating the obvious. Just staying on that topic of leadership, what, 
what comes to mind for you or what are some of your first or initial thoughts about what the folks listening could do to be better leaders, better leaders for their team and for this industry? Anything that, that strikes you as, as obvious or maybe interesting to consider? That's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, part of, part of leading is, is setting expectations. Um, and, uh, the, you know, what we do for our end customer, what they dream about when they're buying the technology, um, I think too frequently is, is, is the expectations are set very high and there's, there's very little in terms of expectations around what it's going to take to get that system to really come to life in your home. And so, um, you know, inevitably, I think uh, there are systems that are oversold and then under, into, under implemented and mm-hmm. that creates issues. And, mm-hmm. and it is hard. My, my current integrator, the lead tech is amazing. His name is Maui. I hope mm-hmm. he's listening. Um, but, you know, sometimes when I'm pinging him at night, I know he's with his family or doing something else. Or if it's during the day, I'm taking him off the job that he's trying to implement for somebody else. Mm-hmm. God forbid if it's on a weekend that I feel like I'm bothering him. And the expectation, it's a really important to set an expectation with a customer around what you're going to have to invest in, in your own time, as we take this system from the initial install to the wonderful experience that we want you to live with for the next 10 years. And I think that I think by, I think by selling better, first of all, I think we can sell more. I I actually believe this industry could give itself a 30% or more raise just by selling better. And then that creates a much better environment for the techs to operate in. And I think, you know, that leads to, you know, really great team engagement. And, you know, it's, it's, we all know the labor challenges of the industry. Let's first figure out a way how to make our team members happy, productive, want to spend their careers in this industry and, and drive more for the end customer and for the integrator they're working for. So I agree. No, no, that, that, that's, that's great. That's a line of, you know, I, a line of thinking and a line of beliefs that I have, you know, going all the way back to 2010, I was, you know, involved in volunteering with CD and their education and, um, and all the way to the present, I've participated in one fireflies participated in different types of CDA business education, but something I've observed is that when you go to training, whether it's a CDA tech summit or a CDA show, um, or, I mean, you could be on the Avixa side of the equation as well, is that so often the trainings that the techs and the integrators want to participate in and volume is often all the, all the black box stuff. I'm not trying to call anyone out, but I'm saying a lot of, you know, learning about the products, learning about the latest and greatest, and not always on the softer skills 
of leadership and culture and HR. And as you just were talking about loving on your people and taking great care of your people, being an attractive workplace, being an attractive industry to participate in, it's it's often not where these business businesses gravitate to if they're going to even go get training. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm assuming some of this is going to come to some of the changes that you guys are making or or instituting. Yeah. But it's 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 been a challenge, is it not? I mean, are you seeing that from the Snap One side of things of how to bring that set of beliefs that it sounds like you certainly have personally and professionally? But to try to get these small businesses to evolve in their level of professionalism and execution so that overall their execution and delivery in the last 10% is better. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's what, you know, every, all, all the millions of dollars of investment we make every day is, is in that regard. I think, first of all, what, let's recognize the integrators have been heroes in this company, in this country and outside this country over the past three years. When COVID hit and Amen. everybody started working at home um, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, the integrators, the demand for their services was never greater. And they're working overtime outside their home every week so people could live uh, or work inside their home. So they yeah. were heroes. And, and the, because the capacity of the industry was constrained, they had to work really hard to do yeah. that. And they weren't able to work on things, what I call around their business. They were working inside their business. I mean, every single morning they were waking up and doing installs and proposals and they didn't have time to do anything else. So, you know, now is a time for the industry to take its breath a little bit and kind of lift itself up and think about what are the things we have to do as an industry to prosper over the next decade? Because over the next decade, they're going to see demand like they've never seen before. Inside the United States, the United States is underhoused by roughly 17 million homes. 17 million homes are going to be built over the next decade. All the homes today that have technology that this industry has installed in it will have to go through some sort of upgrade over the next 10 years. And people aren't going to want to sell their homes with their 3% mortgage. So they're going to keep investing in those homes. And technology keeps improving. I'll cite our Luma. You know, Luma X20 is a significantly better product than Luma X10. So when we come out with products that improve people's experiences in the home or in the business, people are going to want to upgrade. So -hmm. the industry has to get ready for that. And coming off kind of the COVID and supply chain, you know, headaches, I think this is a great time to set the foundation for the future. Talk to me about your vision. I mean, speaking about future vision, what do you see as the, the, issues or concerns of the delivery of systems today and the effect that's having on the perception of our industry today. And I, uh, I, I believe that you believe similar set of, um, um, 
I don't know, I'll say the word belief again. And that is that our integrators, by and large, if you were to pull them in a room and say, are your, could, could the customers that you serve ultimately be happier? They could be happier. I, I think that some integrators, many of them, many of them that I know do exceptional jobs of making customers very happy. But sadly, many of them are very focused on moving on to the next project. And, and you know, we're a marketing agency and I say, well, hey, don't you want to go back and email your customers? Sadly, some of them go, absolutely not. Yes. I don't want to call them or email them because they might tell me that something's wrong. And uh, I just, it's an issue. It's, a, it's an issue that's been going on for decades for our industry. And I know, I believe you have strong convictions around this. I'm just curious. Can you, would you mind sharing that kind of, what do you see? Well, I, I see um, a couple of things and I think they're both related. I think the first thing is um, we, we ask integrators, we, we do surveys. Everybody's participated in our surveys. We ask integrators on a one to 10 scale, what kind of, what, what kind of service do you think you provide to your customers? And on a one to 10 scale, they say on average an eight. The integrators right. think very highly of the service we provide. Then we do extensive customer surveys of the industry without regard to the products they're using or the integrators they're using. And when we ask the customers, they are that we, we ask them the ultimate question on a one to 10 scale, they're at a four. There's a disconnect. And uh, you've been in this industry a long time. I've now been in it. We talk to end customers all the time. And I think four is closer to the truth. O almost regardless of integrator, customers are not content with their experience. So that creates an issue for certainly an integrator to get the upgrade opportunity. Like the last thing the customer wants to do is use their existing products or their existing integrator. That's a problem for the industry, but it's an opportunity for the industry. Yep. And so then what, what, and by the way, we don't view that as a situation that we as an industry can tolerate. We, we say, we, we say we have to create raving fans, not just with the integrators, but we got to create raving fans at the end customer level with this industry. And so then we try to ask the question, why? Why are customers unhappy? And this has been a journey we've been on since we bought Control 4. And Snap had got, Snap AV at the time had gotten big enough that we decided as an executive team that our growth depended on the industry's growth. And the industry's growth was going to be hampered if we didn't fix this customer satisfaction problem. And so we said to ourselves, what is, how do we do that? How do we do that? How, it's how a do big we, problem. It's a big, yeah, hairy problem. It, especially in a community of integrators that, you know, there is no standard way of doing business. Um, they serve different customer sets. They have different preferences around products, et cetera. And so we said, what do we have to do as a company? And that has led to the Control 4 investment. That has led to the opening of brick and mortar stores. That has led to the launch we did a couple of weeks ago of Control 4 Connect, 
and control for assist uh, premium. And what we're trying to do is make investments to make the installs easier, better, and make the systems after the install as reliable as the customer, the discerning customer we serve uh, expects them to be. And uh, that's guided us along the way. You're using a tool called an NPS score. Can you talk to the audience a little bit? About what is that and how are you guys using that? So let me just first say the ultimate question was the first book. It was written by a gentleman named Fred Reicheld. And the ultimate question is how, uh, on a one to 10 scale, how likely are you to refer a friend to the service or product you're using? Um, there's a science behind this. I would encourage everybody to read this book. It's called The Ultimate Question. It's one of the easiest reads of any business book I've ever read. It changed my life 25 years ago. We'll drop it in the show notes uh, and on the socials. We'll put it down in the comments. Great. And hopefully you'll get some sort of uh, commission, uh, Ron. You know what? We need to set up an affiliate fee <laughs> thing, but at the moment we'll just do it out of kindness. So we'll we'll put that in the notes. And basically, you know, after extensive studies, what it shows is if you take care of, if you, if you, the, those companies that have the highest net promoter scores basically grow one and a half to two times faster than the industries they're in. So this is why SNAP One is so focused on making sure our scores with the integrator community are high, which they are. Um, why our technical support is so strong, why we've opened brick and mortar stores, because people said we want you in our local communities. Mm. Um, but what we hadn't done until we bought Control 4 was really look at what's the end customer's happiness with the industry. And so I've talked to so many friends who said, who will say, give me an integrator and I'll give them an integrator's name and say, I've used that one. I don't want to use them again. I mean, that's bad for your business. They're not going to call you to do a network upgrade. They're not going to call you to do a surveillance upgrade. They're going to call somebody else. And yeah. so taking care of your customers, you know, becomes the, the, the lifeline for your business's growth in the future. It makes it easier to sell to your customers. It gives you references. And uh, it, it, when, you, when you're providing that kind of service, people generally don't argue with you about price. So your margins on every project are better. And then, by the way, you have happier customers. They're not complaining to your employees. So your employees are happier and love working for you. So th this has a, been a, a book that has guided uh, me throughout my career. I didn't have to implement it at Snap. It was already there, which was great. Um, and I would encourage, I've also gotten some notes from integrators recently as I've spoken about this. They're implementing it in their businesses. So if you're not implementing it in your business, my guess is your customer set is going to trail your competitors. And it's just a really easy system to implement. Ron, I think you guys have implemented it as well. So um, it, it now the, the problem is when you identify that the customer's not happy. That's a symptom. And what's what do you the, do about it? What, what's the cause? And that leads to a number of decisions you can make inside your business to drive that customer set up. 
But the first I'm going to ask a technical question, a question detail, and I'm betting you know the answer, but uh, don't feel bad if you don't. Uh, I don't immediately know it. What percentage of your customers? So let's just talk about you, Snap One, of your customers you're you're serving. Let's say users of your technical support. Because I know you have a, an NPS score; it's very high for users of your technical support. When you survey a population of users of your service, how many? What what percentage of that population needs to respond for that yeah. answer to be statistically valid or viable? Yeah, I think with we have we, you know we have a large number of integrators who do business with us, so. I think we're looking for something in the high single digits, which generally creates hundreds of responses. Hundreds, and that's it's all about statistical validity, yeah, so right? The, of the population, the, the population is 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 in the hundreds, and sometimes more, depending on the question we ask. Okay, all right. So, what do you do when you what do you do when you notice the score? And I'm going to say you as Snap or you as the integrator pulling your customers. What do you do when the number's not where you want it to be? Well, first of all, this is back to the notion of being transparent. Like we, we have to have a transparent conversation with ourselves about why. Like if, if the answer is around service and understanding that when the customer has an issue on Saturday night and they can't use their movie theater, the call back on Monday doesn't work for them. Their kids are crying because they can't watch the latest Disney movie. And then you start to cry because they're come up to the main floor and, and bug you when you're trying to have uh, company over. So, um, so the, that's an example, but we've kind of deconstructed it. And generally speaking, it gets to the, uh, ongoing reliability of these wonderful systems we install. People love the movie theaters we build. People love the outdoor experiences. They love the security they get from a great surveillance system, et cetera. And they love those things so much that when they're not working, they're very frustrated. And mm. these, and our discerning customers we serve, when they go on vacation, they stay at the Ritz. They eat at nice restaurants. They, um, you know, drive nice cars and have those service experiences. They have high expectations. And that's what they expect of us. And if we don't deliver it, the industry is not going to prosper the way it should. And so when we break it down, it comes down to product and it comes down to service. On the product side, this industry has evolved a little bit like my old industry. You know, when, when I used to buy systems of this industry, they were solid state. The software was firmware running on the devices. There wasn't true open software like an OS3 or uh, Oversee. It was all kind of solid state. You put it in and you didn't really have to change it for the years of ownership. So today, number one, Everything's running depends on software in the in the home or small business. Two is there's been a proliferation of the types of devices that are going in. So there's mm -hmm. far more devices that are connected, and they're generally disparate. Integrators are great at picking what they think are the best products for the job, 
but they're generally from a number of different manufacturers. Sometimes they're designed to work better together and sometimes they're not. And sometimes mm-hmm. firmware upgrades happen from one manufacturer and the control system can't test them and guess what happens to the install. And so keeping the software platforms current and tested, building products solutions that are more integrated than not, and then understanding that these are still products that are that that because of the technology in them there there are going to be times when they require service and so building a service model that the customer can rely upon so on saturday night if the movie theater is not working with a phone call they can get it working those are all the things the components we see when we ask the customer why aren't you happy that we need to improve on as an industry so here at One Firefly, we have the perspective of building websites and doing marketing for integrators. And I can go back, I'm going to go back 10 years, back to Ihiji, um, you know, one of the first service yeah. Yeah. Comp- software solution, hardware companies, and then, you know, uh, bring that back to, you know, all the various solutions of today. And I know C4 ultimately acquired Ihiji and, and of course, Snap acquired C4. But the va- it's my opinion. My observation, I'm going to say, take this with a grain of salt, that still, although Jason Knott, formerly of CE Pro, was, and Julie Jacobson, for, formerly of CE Pro, were regularly talking about RMR and service and maintenance plans. And this just being not only great for the customer, but just great for the business model of the integration firm to build a recurring revenue stream. It still strikes me that the vast majority of our industry do not have such a program in place. Yeah. Such a program of recurring revenue, but I'm going to zoom in on the service and maintenance and upkeep. And I'm going to challenge the ongoing customer happiness of their customer. Some do. Some of the, the best and brightest businesses in our countries absolutely have that in place and they lead with it and every customer gets a choice. But I have an opinion that the majority, I'm going to call it more than 50%, do not have that in place. And I think that's one of the symptoms of the maybe uh, an unreasonably high level of dissatisfaction at the consumer level Yeah, because they buy this stuff and they put it in their house and this stuff breaks. Yep. This, and it just, that's no one's fault. It just does. It's electronics. It breaks. Well, it's electronics and it's software. And you know, this is back to expectation setting. Nobody's telling the consumer that they're putting a, 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 robust piece of software in the home. And, and, and with that software that you, the customer, as you own this for the next 10 years, you can actually expect the products to improve. They're not solid state. They're going to have new features and functionality like voice, like new ways to control your lighting, like surveillance analytics. You're going to, in this world of cybersecurity, there are going to be investments to keep it more secure. You can expect the experience to improve over time but it happens through software. And, 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 and that, that, is the, that is something that these same customers are used to seeing in other things they buy or other ways they operate their own businesses. And so what we've done, what we did after years of being in the market with products like Foresight and Parasol, we said, We've got to be, we got to be the partner we want to be to this industry. 
and to help the integrators build more healthy businesses. We've got to do this for the industry. And this is the beginnings of a software model. That's number one. Number two, they uh, should have an expectation that because of this software model that's very moderately priced, your system's going to improve over time. And here's a service model. Here's a service model that if the integrator feels like they provide great service, great. If they do the ultimate question survey and find out their service should improve, we're providing a service platform for them to introduce to their customer. And we're doing it in a way that they make money from day one, that they can depend on a partner who they know is going to be there. It's a billion dollar plus business that has tools like Composer that can help the customer on the fly do things, but the integrator can still control the system and the experience and differentiate their offering to the customer. And we think that model of a moderately priced software model and a service model are the things that are going to drive raving fans at the end customer level. And so when they build their second home or they at a cocktail party and everybody's complaining about their system, they'll say, call these guys because they'll do it for you. So Andrew, I had just put it on the screen and for my audio listeners, I'll, I'll just read it. Andrew says they get it about their iPhone. They forget it about it with their home systems. So it's, yeah. it's so accurate. It, it really so is. you're, you're, you're going to help them snap one is going to help the industry and help the customer get a better experience. There's a component of software upgrades or a software model that is going to be required at some point here in the coming year. I'd love for that detail. What is that? And, and when it, is that? Yeah, yep. and then there's a variable component. There's another level of service that's going to be optional. Yeah, Can you three, kind of break that into, uh, describe three, that for us? Three different products. First, we're, we're making the Control 4 Connect, which is the software model mandatory. It, it's got three pricing tiers, zero, $99 a year, and $249 a year. Zero is on our, uh, is on our uh, uh, CA1 controller. And the other price points have been tested out in the market with our partner advisory board. And we also have the experience of Foresight, which has over 100,000 subscribers on it. So zero, 99, 249, it's mandatory. And with that, you get upgrades. By the way, the integrator controls when the upgrade is done. Um, you will get new features and functionality. We've got some really exciting things planned in that regard. Um, and you uh, can be assured that the integrations in your home will continue to be kept up to date. Then we have a service model for the industry. That is not mandatory. If you're asking me as the CEO of SnapOne, I think it's really important that you as an integrator drive very high customer satisfaction. You can do it through your own service model, but we have a model that you can do it uh, day one. And the two models are Control 4 Assist, which is $899 a year, or Control 4 Assist Premium, which is $2,999 a year. And the difference between those products is one is reactive. If there's an issue, call us and we'll respond. Proactive gives you, you know, what you would expect. We're monitoring the health of the home and the devices. Uh, but it also gives you some other services like our assist premium techs have access to Composer Pro, 
If you need something done, like a quick scene creation, we can do it for you. We'll tell the integrator about it. There's a lot of things that we won't touch with because the integrator needs to have control over the system. But the, those service products are optional. We, again, we think it's really important that the industry provides great service. Here's a way to do it. And so, you know, we've been in market with Parasol. We've been in market with Foresight. Um, we uh, are really excited about this. At the summit we had a couple of weeks ago, I was pleasantly surprised by the number of integrators who see Assist and Assist Premium as real leverage points for their business, not just to improve customer set, but make their techs productive. Like this industry has a labor issue that we all know about. What better way to kind of address the labor issue than make your own techs more productive? Um, and so, you know, I, I was really uh, inspired by that at our, at our summit. And, and in all of those programs, there's a revenue share with the integrator. So That's you're right. moving it, all of these businesses automatically into a recurring revenue stream. We're, business we're building rails for the integrator to deliver services to their customer. And so uh, with uh, customer, uh, with Control4 Connect, they get 40% of the revenues every year. Um, with control for assist and assist premium, because there's more labor on our side. It's, I forget the exact per per percentage, but it's, it's, it's below 40, but it's above 30. Um, okay. And, you know, we've already got other products in the works like Luma Insights, which by the way, just won a big award at uh, ISE uh, that I found out about. Um, Congratulations. And, thank you. And, you know, we're easing into that. The subscription around Luma Insight is free for the first few years but we're going to keep investing in video analytics. And is that, a, is that an AI analytics type yeah. solution? Yeah. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. It's such a neat new frontier for video. There's a, so much discussion in the industry about lighting. And I think lighting is a very exciting area. We we're making big investments there. Surveillance, like the security of your home or business and, and the traditional security systems, which tells you when somebody's broken in versus again, a service driven by video analytics and cameras that's gonna drive recurring revenues. So we're, we're, we're thinking about these things and, and this is our initial kind of launch of a, a service-based model for the industry. I'm gonna ask you a total wild card curveball. Promise you it's not a gotcha of any kind, but I'm just curious. It's something that's been close to my heart and I've been kind of on top of it and and thinking about it critically for a while. This artificial intelligence surge, really, you know, since Chat GPT uh was released in what, November of 2022. Yep. Uh was really yep. took the whole world by storm in 2023. It's uh, likely going to be impacted, not just ChatGPT, but AI at a, you know, uh, the big picture. It's going to change the world we live in. Uh, is there you get any high level thoughts you have? Kind of what, what are you doing at Snap? Yeah, in we're, terms of uh, the business it, it is very product? exciting. I mean, there have been points in my own career um, that something excites me about technology. And this is one of those. Um, I've played around with it personally. I think there's two different avenues of it. One is, how we can use it to run our business and, and help the integrator. Um, I think, first of all, I think we have to be very careful as an industry with the data of the homeowner or the small business. So mm -hmm. that is sacrosanct. We're not going to leverage that in any way, shape or form. Um, but what it can tell us is things around, you know, the quality and the reliability of certain solutions. Oversee 
is in over 500,000 homes today. We, we know what the reliability of those homes look like. We can start thinking about that data and making suggest, suggestions around, you know, what might, what you might better put into a home. It also will tell us things about our products to improve them. And maybe we can tell other manufacturers things about their products in terms of benchmarking to improve them. So that's one area. The second area, though, is how these smart living experiences are going to come to life. And when you have a system in your home and, you know, we, again, you know, we're, our, the, our install base continues to grow. There's learnings we can take to mm. make suggestions to you about how to use your system, how your system will learn about things like you've walked into the home, the lights just automatically turn on, but only the lights you wanted to turn on. So I think, you know, one of the appeals to me of, of joining the uh, company was, you know, I'm old enough that I used to watch a cartoon called The Jetsons and I used to like really enjoy it. By the way, I like watched it when it was on primetime at night. You all right, I watched the reruns in the 80s. So yeah, you, you, watched, you the watched the first runs? That's right. And so, um, you know, I think it's I think this is this is what's exciting about the industry is how all this is going to come to life and I think AI is going to be important, but I think it's also something we do have to kind of watch out for in terms of the protection of customer data. Yeah, I, I agree. Andrew's still tuned in. Andrew says, uh, insightful use of data for clients' benefits. I think using AI for analysis of data and insights is one of the most powerful superhuman abilities of those tools. And I think the fact that you guys are already thinking about that, thinking forward about how to benefit the customer and uh, and your customers, the dealers, that's that's really neat. It's actually one of the first times I've heard a industry leader in our channel talk about using AI in that way. And it's, it's, it's classic and by the book, immediate benefits of these tools to have it analyze your big data. And I understand keeping client data and small business data sacrosanct and out of those data sets, but letting it crunch those data and help you see things that uh, can be hard for the human to see without that superhuman computer ability. That's, yeah. that's super, yeah, we, super you, interesting. It, it's been, it's been great for our, our quality group. We, you know, um, we take a lot of the, a lot of our R and D just goes into making our existing products better. And so yeah. um, th that's, that's something I think I, the, one of the biggest opportunities for the industry is just make what we do better for that. Just candidate. better. Just higher standards, just do better work. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to close uh, out here. I'm mindful of time and, and your time, uh, John. Uh, I'd love you to pull out your crystal ball, maybe your crystal uh, magic eight ball, and uh, look forward You know, into 2024 and uh, maybe the next year or two. This is an election year. Obviously, the world has all these, uh, you know, uh, scary events happening all over uh, the world. No, don't need repetition. I personally try to watch as little of the news as possible. Just it helps me sleep better at night. Um, and you've already expressed earlier in this conversation, there's a, a big picture shortage of housing in uh, North America. And that's super positive for our industry when you look forward 10 years. And those, at some point, those homes are going to get built and there's going to be a demand. 
What do you see in the next 12 to 24 months? And I'm, I'm mindful you're a publicly traded company, so you can, uh, you can say what, you, what yeah. you're allowed to say. Well, I won't speak about kind of the company per se, um, because we are public. Uh, I'll do that on our uh, investor earnings call. calls. Yeah, yeah. I what I I I feel like we uh, had a bit of a bottoming out over the past six months in the industry. Um, uh, again, I, I've spoken with a number of integrators. I've also spoken with a number of CEOs in the industry. Generally, I think business was down last year. Um, and, uh, it was down while let's not forget prices were up. So volume was actually down more than we thought. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I think, you know, there was a shock to the system around interest rates and there was a shock to the system around the stock market. The stock markets come back. The fed has indicated that they're going to make some interest rate cuts this year. In fact, in 30 minutes, they're about to speak. I, I don't expect the interest cut will be today. What's your over under on them lowering rates? Today, <laughs> I, I would say 80%. They're going to go, I think, with one more call before they uh, yeah. reduce rates. But I think we're getting close. Mortgages have come down. Um, I think, you know, you see a lot of corporate layoffs right now, but that actually will lead to more small business formation. Um, so if you're an integrator and you got a business serving kind of small businesses and residences in your community, I think you can, you can, I think at a minimum expect, expect a stable environment. Um, but I think what we'll see is more growth in the second half of the year as interest rates come down, you know, political, uh, uh the presidential election usually is healthy from a business standpoint. And the thing that is, you know, you, you cannot argue is the, the, that there will be 17 million homes built. I mean, that is a factual analysis based on the number of homes today and, and the population growth. It could vary a little bit up or down. You can't argue about that. You can't argue that more technology is going to be in every one of those homes. You can't argue about the fact that existing homes are going to be go through an upgrade. So, you know, I think now's a great time as an integrator to take your breath a little bit, think about your business. There's some really interesting things that are going on from people who are trying to help from a business standpoint, as opposed to a product standpoint. You guys are doing some really interesting things. I feel like Snap is trying to do some really interesting things. There's others who are helping people focus on their business and so forth. And so now's a great time to take your breath and get prepared for, I think, a sustainable demand coming at this industry. That's, uh, that's, I'm going to close on a high note, John. That sounds exciting. I love that vision of the future. I love your focus on excellence and ultimately we as an industry raising our standards to deliver a better experience for the customer and a better work environment for our people. And if we do, I mean, how can doing those things lead to a bad result? I mean, yeah. that's, it seems obvious, but, you know, obviously wise and with a lot of experience behind that uh, vision and advice. John, for anyone tuned in here watching or listening uh, that wants to get in touch with you directly, how could we advise them or direct them? 
I think the best way to do it is John at Snap One, J O H N at Snap One dot com. And if you send, first of all, I'd love your thoughts about this for anyone listening. And um, the way we get better is to keep the conversation going with the industry. So uh, if you send me an email, you'll you'll probably get a response that day. Otherwise, you'll get a response the next day. Awesome. John, it really has been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, hopefully you'll, you'll consider coming back in the future. And uh, it's, it's just, I've learned a lot. I'm, I'm honored to have you here and uh, appreciate everything you're doing for certainly Snap One, but for the industry at large. It's very, back very at, cool. Back at you, Ron. Really appreciate it. Thank you awesome. for your time. Thank you, sir. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.